0: Have you been here to the center before? I've never anywhere, never been anywhere in my before. I'm glad <laughs> you That's my first time ever. Oh, good. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, so we're going to kind of settle into our meditation posture. I'll just kind of walk you through the, some of the points, seven points. And then we'll do a short five-minute meditation on, uh, on the breath. And we'll kind of guide you through that. So find a comfortable spot Uh, if you're in uh, a chair. uh, You want your uh, legs to be pretty much parallel to the ground, not too high, not too low. Because if they're too high, if your knees are too high, it's going to kind of push you off balance back into the chair. If they're too low, it's going to pull you out of balance this way. Uh, sometimes you'll find that a small cushion under your feet kind of brings your knees up to appropriate place. So it's kind of something to play around with. Uh, the first point of posture, there we go, back here, is uh, the legs and the hips. It's the foundation, obviously, of your posture when you're seated, right? either when you're in a chair or when you're on a cushion. And you want to be very aware of the way your sit bones engage the seat. It should be comfortable and feel balanced and that kind of just feeling that will let you know if you're too much to the side, too much you know, uh, the other side forward or back. It's just a good sort of reference point that way. You want your legs to be uh, comfortable and touching the ground. If you're in a chair Feet uh, firmly on the ground. Don't want to cross the legs like this if you're sitting in a chair uh, because it just, it's kind of, it makes you more wobbly. And again, what we're looking for with posture in meditation is to be able to park the body and not think about it. We want to eliminate as many distractions as we, as we can. And f- having proper posture is just a great way to, to set that up, to kind of set us up for some success that way. Uh, sometimes if you're in a cushion, your knees are out, you can sit cross-legged like this. You can have one foot in front of the other. Uh, if you can do a lotus, uh, full lotus, where you have one leg up and then the other coming up to here, great. I don't really recommend it. It is a nice stable posture. But I've seen more people ruin their knees that way than you can imagine. Um, you want the legs to rest comfortably and without strain, essentially. Um, on top the pelvis, you've got your spine. It's the next thing we're going to uh, think about. Uh, you want your spine to be in a very neutral position, very balanced, like if you had a... a a telephone pole that was just standing without any tethers holding it up you can find a point there where it's just perfectly in balance and it just takes no effort to stay there and that's really the quality you want uh, and it's really a matter of tuning into to what it feels like a good way to do that is to sit up what you think is straight put your hands on your legs and then move your hands like a quarter inch forward And notice the change in your spine. And see, does that feel like I'm more in balance, more in a neutral position? Or does it feel like that's pulling me out of balance? And if it feels like it's pulling me more into balance, maybe go another quarter to an inch. See, is that more in balance or is it less in balance? So you kind of tune in that front and back position that way. And again, the goal is just a sense of just right, that sort of Goldilocks thing. Not too big, not too small. Uh, The shoulders, you want in a position where the chest is open and the shoulders are relaxed. And a good way to do that is as you're kind of running up through the seven points, you check your pelvis, check your spine, get to the shoulders, and then you bring them up towards your ears like this, back behind you squeeze your shoulder blades together and then just let them relax. You'll notice that opens the chest up. It lets the energy in the body flow much better, the subtle energy. It lets the breath move freely through the body. You'll find that oftentimes when you're sitting for long periods of time, if you're becoming fatigued, your chest starts to do this. You know, you just start to get tired and you'll feel that kind of compression of the breath and you'll feel kind of a tightness in the body that goes along with the, uh, the subtle energy in the body being a bit restricted as well. When you feel that, just very quietly, just regain your posture, bring the shoulders up and back and drop them down, and then you're back in position you want to be in. Uh, next thing here is the head. You want your head to be in a neutral position as well, as if you were gazing onto the horizon. That kind of sets it up quite well. Um, It should not feel like it's out of balance. And it's something, again, you just want to tune into your body and check that out. Uh, You want to keep your head in that position and then lower the eyes, lower the gaze. Um, And you can feel how that settles the mind down, how it calms the mind, how it brings it, you kind of into yourself. And just, uh, just to play with that a bit, try assuming this uh, posture where you've got the pelvis, the spine, the shoulders, the head in the right place. And then just look up like this. And just kind of pay attention to how your body feels, how your mind feels. Get that sense. And then drop your eyes down and see if you can tell the difference. And that's kind of that difference is what you're aiming for—that settling of, uh, of the uh, kind of energy in the body. Uh, you can have your eyes opened or closed during different meditations. Uh, some meditations are very specific about you know, during this meditation you should have them open during this one they should close. And during this one, it doesn't matter. In a general sense, what you find is if your eyes are open, you are more alert, more awake, um, but you're more distracted. You're just picking up everything in your visual field. And it can be difficult to keep your mind on your meditation when that's happening. If you have your eyes closed, what you find is you have very little visual distraction. But it can make you a little drowsy, because you usually associate um, closing the eyes with sleep. So it's kind of something to play around with. It really depends on how alert you're feeling and how distracted you're feeling. Um, you can close the eyes just partially, and just kind of so there's a, just a softness to the gaze. That works very well. I find sometimes, if I close the eyes to where I can see the line of the eyelid, I just get real distracted by that, so I usually will bring it up higher than that or lower than that person. Next thing you want to think about is the jaw the jaw should be relaxed uh, you, sometimes you 'll realize when you get to the thinking about the jaw how much tension we tend to carry in the jaw, it, you know, it's, uh, it's very loaded emotionally, it's, um, how would I say, I have heard it said that about 60% of all the sensory input that your brain manages has to do with something associated with the jaw, the muscles, the joints, you know, something like that, the lips, uh, the lips are probably the most sensitive part of the body. Um, and to allow that area to relax really gets you a lot of mileage in terms of allowing things to settle, allowing the mind to be still. Um, You want the mouth to be gently closed. Some uh, lineages will teach meditation and uh, say open the mouth a little bit. What we find uh, in our lineage is that if the mouth is opened you tend to breathe through your mouth, and uh, it tends to dry out the mouth. So I would say, generally, try closed mouth, see what works for you, and go with that. The uh, last thing is the tongue. You want to park the tongue, gently, touching the hard palate right behind the front teeth on top. Uh, the reason we're actively thinking about where we put the tongue that you want it to rest there because if the tongue is moving around you're generating saliva Uh, and if you're generating saliva you have to swallow and swallowing is a distraction it kind of pulls you out of your meditation so to just rest the tongue in one place is often very beneficial so those are the seven points Uh, what I love about teachings like this is that uh, meditation has a very long lineage. Um, in the time of the Buddha, 2,600 years ago, meditation was an ancient, ancient practice. And these are kind of the distilled points about meditation that have been tried by millions and millions and millions of meditators where the things that worked have been capped the things that didn't work have not been kept. So I can tell you if you attend to these seven points, you really are going to be taking care of your posture in the proper way. So we're going to do a uh, meditation on the breath, and I'll we'll walk you through it uh, as we go. Uh, so let's see. There, there. Okay. Okay. Um, so settle into your posture and again just briefly review the seven points of meditation. Uh, posture, the uh, legs and the hips, the spine, the shoulders, up, back, relax, the head position the eyes where the gaze is, they're open or closed, the jaw, and the tongue. And first, bring your awareness to the tactile sensations that you have as you sit, the tactile sensations of the body, where your body contacts what you're sitting on, the floor, your feet, your thighs, your hips, and so on. And just be aware of that. Uh, If there's something that needs to be shifted a bit in terms of posture, this would be a good time to do that. But just be aware of that. Tactile sensation. (laughs) And next, bring your awareness to the tactile sensations of the body as a whole. And just kind of let your awareness relax. And just notice what arises. If nothing arises, if no sensations are there, that's fine. Um, if you're aware of pain, just acknowledge that. Yeah, I've got some tightness and pain there. Just kind of scan through the body. Be aware of what you're feeling. And next, we'll be resting our awareness on the rhythm of the breath in the body. And that's going to be the object of our meditation for this five-minute meditation. And what you want to pay attention to is the rhythm of the inspiration and the expiration. The physical sensations. You want to, as much as you can, not label those sensations, not have thoughts about those sensations, but just notice the tactile sensations that you have. And it allows you to just follow that regular, consistent rhythm of the breath. We don't want to change the breath. We don't want to manage it in any way. You just want to observe it. So we're essentially doing a single pointed meditation with the rhythm of the breath as the object of meditation. I'm going to set a timer. There'll be a gong to uh, start the meditation in, uh, in a few seconds. And then there'll be a gong to end the meditation in, uh, in about five minutes. As you become distracted from the object of meditation either by uh, the senses things you hear or feel or by thoughts you realize that your awareness is shifted from the object of meditation simply bring it back very gently and just refocus your awareness on the rhythm of the breath and those tactile sensations When you are distracted, very, very gently just let go of that distraction, bring the awareness back to the rhythm of the breath. half a minute, make sure that you're bringing your attention back to the breath and resting it there. you come out of meditation, you may want to just twist from side to side like this, you want to just stretch your arms down and such, just to kind of put the body back in. A lot of times when we meditate, when we're done, we want to just kind of hold that space of that softness and that ease. And sometimes, we want to get back into more of an active mind very quickly. If we want to get back into the room in an active way quickly, a very good way to do that is to notice three things that you see and just label them. You know, chair, cushion, ceiling. And then notice three things that you hear and label them. People talking, Rustling of the cushion, sound of the projector, label them. And then three things that you feel the sit bones on the cushion, the weight of the uh, fabric here, and my mala on my wrist. And that just kind of gets you back into that method of uh, cognition that you know, we kind of like. And if you're wanting to pay attention to something, it's just kind of a good way to. Get back into that mental state where you're, you're sharp and you're focused again. Uh, Let's see. There we go. Um, Inevitably, in meditation, we'll choose an object of meditation. We'll rest our mind there, and fairly quickly that object fades and we get distracted into something. It could be you know, the conversations out in the room. It could be some discomfort in your posture, and your body somewhere. It could be thoughts of you know, something that went well or didn't go well in the day or something that you're anticipating. But our mind inevitably jumps to something else. And as it does that, we want to bring it back in a proper way so that we can rest the mind again on the object of meditation. And we're just gonna review the four Rs of how to do that. So when you realize you're doing the meditation on the breath, and all of a sudden, oh gosh, I'm thinking about lunch tomorrow. Four parts. You first release the thought. And it can be just an easy sort of, oh let that go. And sometimes it's more of a I'm here to meditate, planning lunch is important, but I'm not going to do that right now because I'm meditating. Going to, you might even have, need to have a dialogue with yourself that way. Um, the second thing you want to do is rejoice because when your mind is wandering, as Jason Kopp has said, uh, you don't have a mind, your mind has you. And when you're realizing, oh, my mind's wandered off, then you have a mind. Then you're aware of what your mind is doing and what's going on there. And that's what you want your mind to do. And you just be happy about that. Great! Something kicked in that made me aware of what um, what my mind's doing. I've got my mind back. The reason you want to just have some happiness about that is that uh, it encourages that thing to happen again. It strengthens that part of the mind that observes when you're off the object of meditation. The third thing you want to do is return to the object of meditation, whatever that may be. And then the fourth thing is to relax, to settle the body, just ha. Ah, because all of the gains you're going to make in meditation. All of the realizations, all of the benefits you're going to have come when the mind is most relaxed. And we have to constantly be kind of convincing ourselves that that's true. Because when we're making an effort to do something, there's a very easy tendency to tighten up, you know, to, to try too hard. And I think especially in Western culture, we're really good at that. We're really good at really being determined and being very mm, firm in our effort. It's not so helpful in meditation. It tends to tighten things up, make it a not-so-pleasant experience, so that relaxation part is good to do. Uh, And like that. Are there any questions about that, about bringing the... uh, the awareness back to, uh, to the object of meditation. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Right? Um, one of the things I just wanted to point out is what awareness is. So I just want everyone to close your eyes. I want you to bring your attention to the tactile sensations in your left knee. And just rest there just observe whatever sensations arise and then think about your right shoulder and again just Observe what's going on there. And then, think about the space right between your eyes. Just on the surface of your skin, right between the eyes. And just notice what's happening there. And you can open your eyes. That thing that moved is awareness, and the question becomes, uh, is, is posed occasionally, where does your awareness reside, is it in your head, is it someplace else, and as you think about it, and you kind of do this sort of exercise, you realize that your awareness is wherever you place it, and you can do it actively, and saying, I'm going to have my awareness here, or you can just kind of let the mind take your awareness where it is. But it does move around, and that's, that awareness is what we're bringing to the object of meditation when we meditate. So, like that. Ah, okay. So we just did a single pointed of concentration meditation, where we're resting our awareness, resting our mind, in one one very easily defined thing, the rhythm of the breath. There are other kinds of meditations, and we're going to do uh, a contemplative meditation now. So, in a contemplative meditation, the purpose is a little different than uh, developing the ability to focus the mind in one's It's a very good skill to have. But sometimes you want to do a meditation where you're contemplating something. Um, So I'm just going to walk you through that process. Um, Is everyone comfortable? If you need to arrange yourself, you're probably going to do a meditation, maybe last about 10 minutes. Okay. So, for a contemplative meditation, it's good to close your eyes. So, get into your posture, very quickly review the seven points, let your eyes rest. And first, just return to the breath as kind of a center, as a focus. So, just dwell on the breath and count ten breaths. In, out, one breath. we'll begin the contemplative meditation by bringing something that you would want to explore a bit to mind and I'm going to suggest that you just pick a simple phrase or word like compassion or meaning of life or primary relationship something that you just want your mind to explore again. Compassion is a good one. It kind, of kind of takes you into a sweet place. But you can use any phrase that you want to explore here. And you slowly repeat that word or phrase in your mind to yourself. And you go, compassion. Compassion. And you let the contemplation come to you. And what you find is that as you just rest your mind there, the mind will start to bring up points of that. It will start to flesh out compassion for you. And when that happens, you let the mind go there. You observe the mind as it brings up those thoughts of some aspect of compassion. And the arena that you allow your mind to move in is bigger than the arena of a single-pointed meditation. But it is a closed area. So as long as the thoughts have something to do with the phrase or the word you're contemplating, um, that's fine. But if you find yourself thinking about, you know, when's it going to start raining again, then you are out of that arena. And you want to bring your mind back to the uh, object of meditation, which is a contemplation of, in, with my example, contemplation. So just start again to just repeat the phrase to yourself. Compassion. Compassion and just allow it to come to you. Uh, if you try to grasp at something, if you try to move actively uh, with volition, the mind to a certain place with, cognition, with uh, compassion, you're going to find that it kind of strangles the meditation. So let's work with that for about five minutes. Bring the phrase to mind slowly, in a relaxed way, repeating it. As it starts to flesh out, if it starts to flesh out, just let the mind explore that. And if you realize that the mind has wandered too far afield, bring it back to the contemplation, and just slowly repeat the phrase again. Sometimes in a contemplative meditation, you arrive at either a visceral sensation or a certain thought that's just real juicy. And it's okay to shift the awareness to that feeling, that sensation, or that thought, and just contemplate that. And if that runs out, just start over again with the original word or phrase. And as we end this contemplative contemplative meditation, just release the object of meditation, and just let what comes to you come to you. Just have a spacious feeling of just allowing what arises to arise. How was that? Did did something come up? Was it just like, ah, I keep repeating this word and nothing's going on, I'm kind of tired of it? How did that work for people? My words just came in front of me, letter by letter. Hmm. I couldn't stop it. Okay. I just let it. Okay. okay. Anyone else? it was going to do anything I feel weird because I had a feeling so I feel like (laughs) this Novocaine like Mm. like fogginess so Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was going to do anything but then after a while um, I think it was like phrases but like feelings were coming up more or like Mm -hmm. feelings of compassion towards certain people Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing Mm -hmm. And then it was really nice at the end to just like sit and let whatever comes up, comes up, mm-hmm. come up. Because I don't really ever do that in meditation. Mm-hmm. There's always some sort of like control of some kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, contemplative meditations are very nice when you really just want to gently explore something. Um, and it's a, kind of a good training in that you really have to drop any desire to steer the meditation in a certain direction. And it's good to just be able to surrender that control and just kind of accept what happens. Uh, sometimes you'll have profound insight. Sometimes nothing happens. And you know both are OK, really. Um, Questions about that at all. I liked it better than the single point concentration. Uh, can you can you t- say why that was? Because it allowed me to uh, explore to not mm-hmm. just be one place. It allowed me to have a broad, broad view. Yeah. Because I had, my, my point of contemplation was it was justice. Mm-hmm. And so process mm-hmm. too. You know, and so j- that concept just was it was really quite quite interesting and, and mm-hmm. um, it was easy to keep my, my mind going through that process. Yeah. The the broadness of the arena that it creates for the mind is it's just relaxing. You know, it's uh, it's an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Glad you had that experience. What yeah. do so. uh, little thing Okay, ready to move on? Anyone? Okay. Um, There are preliminary practices in meditation. We do preliminary practices because it sets, there's certain ways where you just set the mind up to have a successful meditation to where we're not distracted, uh, to where we can settle in in a proper way. There's certain things that just set the mind that way. So there's a list of uh, six things, uh, five on this slide. It's not a mistake, really. <laughs> uh, and let's see, I have. If I have them on that. could you just yeah, pass it around and bring the, bring the rest back to me uh, and such? You don't have to read these now, I just want you to have these because it's a good practice and it's a good thing to add, thank you, it's a good thing to add to your meditative practice. It doesn't take too long, it's a little clunky at first, I mean you're kind of reading off the sheet and then we're kind of thinking about it and and it, um, it takes a bit of time to really enjoy this practice, to really to make it to where it's really sweet for you. But give it a little time that way. And This is something that again has stood the test of time uh, that um, that people who meditate have found that this is, makes a very good transition between you know, the act of life and where we want our mind to be when we meditate. So I just want to kind of talk about uh, the first two, and then I think we'll probably take a break. Uh, The first thing you want to do uh, before you engage in meditation is tidy up the space you're in, Uh, even if you meditate with your eyes closed, because a chaotic uh, environment will just bring your mind there. And a very still environment, a very tidy environment, uh, will allow your mind to focus. Um, uh, me is, uh, uh, my wife is uh, in a Zen retreat now, and their uh, retreat uh, centers are noted for just being very austere just wood, black, white, very <laughs> few pictures. <laughs> and we're in a Tibetan language. <laughs> There's kind of more going on here, but it does have a sense of orderlyness to it there's no books thrown around there's not glasses everywhere and so on and just you know taking like thirty seconds if you're meditating in your bedroom, just you know pulling the sheets up, putting books away, just making an effort to in some way bring things into order drops your mind in in a very sweet way um, set up altar. Uh, Altar here is in a very broad term. If you're really working with your meditation in a spiritual context, you'll have certain images on your altar. Uh, An image of your teacher that you find mm, perhaps inspirational. Uh, An object of a holy being, the Buddha or Christ or your mother or someone like that 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 just lifts your heart. Uh, flowers on your altar as kind of an offering to um, the the images uh, or just to make the altar sweet is good. Uh, some people will uh, put uh, incense on their altar, will burn incense on their altar as an offering or again just something that, that focuses the mind because uh, if you light incense every time you meditate. Um, every time you smell that incense, you're going to drop into that meditative state. It's just a way to kind of trigger that, uh, and it's a nice offering if you're, you know, if you're wanting to do that again. If you're doing this more as a uh, as a spiritual practice, uh, set something on the altar that has some meaning for you. Uh, it could be uh, a book that you're reading that is very evocative. It could be flowers. It could be um, you know, something from a beloved person, that sort of thing. But the thought is that you want, to make, um, you want to make it special. You want that altar to kind of open your heart in a certain way. And a lot of ways to do that, play around with that. Uh, try different things. Um, does anyone ever have, else have ideas about kind of what makes your altar space special for you?: Something someone has given you: mm-hmm. Yeah. Would like that, and again, it's something to be playful with, be uh, open with, uh, you know, try different things. And some things you'll sit down and you'll just go, yeah, that doesn't work. Ain't great. Take it off. Put something else on. You know, and so on, like that. But that's a good time actually for us to take a break. Let's take a ten-minute break. There's, are there stacks back there? I think there are. Of course, <laughs> of course there <laughs> are. Uh, there's water, there's tea. And if you have any questions, feel free to come on up. But stretch your legs, move around. Like that. Last week you said there was one, uh, Let's you know, Check it out. Check out different groups. Like that. Okay. Uh, on to preliminaries. So the... Uh, I'm just going to talk briefly about the preliminaries, the seven ingredients, and in the last preliminary, and then we're just going to lead through a uh, meditation uh, doing this. So, the third uh, thing of the preliminaries is you've got your space tidy, you've got your cushion you know, set up, your chair set up, you've set up an altar, or just a, an inviting space in front of you. Uh, And at that point, you sit down, you take your seat, you get into your proper posture, and you settle in with ten breaths. And typically, uh, counting the breaths are fine. Um, In long, uh, counting the breaths can be very stabilizing if you're finding that it's hard to kind of stay put on the object of meditation. A lot of times, counting the breaths will really just get you focused in there. Um, uh, People will count in different ways. Sometimes people will say count to ten and then start over again. Some people say count to twenty-one and then start over again. Some people say count to one hundred and eight and then start over again, which takes about (laughs) twenty-five minutes to do. It's not bad. It's not as long as you think. but uh, I found myself uh, that I can get the best benefit from counting uh, by just counting one over and over again. Mm-hmm. Because it gives you the focus without having to worry about, you know, which number am I on? Because you know, it, it, that's a little piece of your mind that has to keep track of that part. So just um, breathe out, breathe in, one, breathe out, breathe in, one. It will kind of work, you know, as well. If you're trying to keep track of 10 breaths, you just kind of eyeball it. You know, it's it's easier to get there with counting none than you think. So, like that. that. But that will settle you in. It'll kind of bring you into your meditation. And then, number four, you want to visualize someone or something inspirational. And that's actually a setup for the fifth practice is called the uh, five ingredients, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But an inspirational uh, someone or something is someone that t- someone or something that just touches your heart. Uh, it could be an image of the Buddha, an image of a favorite teacher uh, that you hold in your mind. Uh, an image of someone you admire, someone at work, someone at school, a parent, a child, your dog. Um, But an image of uh, either some being that inspires you or something in the world that inspires you. Some image of a beach, of a calm desert island, of a mountain range, and that sort of thing. But you want to find an image that's lively for you. You're not looking at a picture here you're looking at something that's moving, if you're looking at or if you're imagining an image of the Buddha in your mind, you're watching his face change as he smiles and relaxes. You're watching the wind blow uh, his uh, robes. You're hearing uh, the sound of his robes rustling, the sound of his breath. Uh, You can smell the sweet fragrance that a Buddha might have. Uh, so you want to kind of let it be alive for you, not in a forced way, again, because forcing things in meditation is just the, the road to disaster. It just strangles the life out of your meditation. But you want to just kind of allow it to be alive for you. The reason we have an image we hold in our mind as part of the preliminary practices, is that as the seven ingredients go through a list. So it's a little confusing. We are in the Galupa tradition, one of the four main lineages of Tibetan Buddhism. And what Galupas are known most for is we love lists of things. And so here we have a list of seven embedded in a list of six things. Yeah, like that. Um, so you have this image in front of you, and you bring to mind something that you admire about that person or that place. You know, if we're the uh, Buddha, it could be you know, this is a person who gained enlightenment and could have just kind of gone off and lived happily ever after, and instead, they spent he spent his entire life teaching other people. How to become better people? How to gain enlightenment? How to go beyond the suffering of this lifetime? And just boy, isn't that cool? And you know the benefits are vast. Twenty six hundred years later, there's about a billion Buddhists in the world, and that's you know that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, if it's a, a parent, you might think of some particular favor they did for you, uh, some, some time where they were just particularly generous or particularly understanding one of your failures. And just kind of what you're doing is you're imbuing that image with more good qualities. And especially if you use the same image for a while, over time after time, you're just continuing to make that image kind of a trigger for kind of a sweet thing you know, in your life, and it gets better and better as you go on. Uh, an image can get a little mm, stale after a while, and it's okay uh, after you know, a few months or however long to just change <coughs> your, your, the image that you use in your preliminary practice. If you have a, uh, a teacher who you have a relationship with, you have a connection with, really good to maintain the image of that teacher and you continue to just imbue that teacher with good qualities so that you think of that teacher as in a better and better way the benefit of that is that if you think better and better things about your teacher you're going to get better and better teachings because if you think of your teacher as just a wonderful perfect being you're going to get teachings from a wonderful perfect being, how cool is that? If you think of your teacher as like, yeah, good good points, bad points, whatever, you know, you're going to get teachings from someone who's kind of whatever. So you're setting yourself up here to just get the most out of your meditation, essentially. Uh, A lot of Buddhist practices have to do with training the mind by just repeating certain uh, practices or certain, mm, what's the word I want here, uh, certain patterns, and just kind of mm, habituating your mind to those patterns, and patterns that are you know, beneficial. Because a lot of times, you know, you realize just through the day, your mind is habituating to something. And if you just let it kind of Habituate to whatever, you know, to, you habituate know, to listening to radio, to you know, television, to you know, being online, or whatever. But if you choose what you habituate your mind to, you can choose kind of the outcome of that. So, like that. Okay. Uh, the second thing is, imagine offering something out of appreciation. Make an offering. Uh, and it's something you offer in your mind, like a bouquet of flowers. You can imagine a whole hillside of flowers. Here, I'm offering this to you. Um, if you're imagining a, a quiet, deserted, calm desert, you know, ocean island, um, you can imagine a coconut washing up. Oh, that's going to become another tree on the island one day. Uh, you can imagine a sky full of rainbows. You know, it's just some offering like that. A very good um, mm, offering is your behavior during the day. You kind of, especially if it's, you know, like some, you know, if you're, if someone you identify with a teacher, a parent, your dog, Vassarling, just say, you know, I'm going to be uh, particularly generous today. I'm going to be particularly patient today. And you have that be your offering. It's a really sweet practice because it, um, how would I say, as you make the offering in that way, your mind doesn't know the difference between you simply thinking or imagining being patient and you actually having the experience of being patient in some situation where you know, you're, you're making the effort to do that. So it just kind of sets you up, it, it habituates you towards that thing that you're offering. So that's kind of why I tend to like offering something about my day you know, like that. Uh, but what it does is, uh, it by making an offering to the image in your mind, it makes that image more special. So and again, it imbues that image with more power and more sweetness, like that. Uh, clear your conscience, it's kind of. It's kind of confession. Um, there's uh, a formal way to uh, to do this. Sometimes you just want to kind of flash by it. You're like, you say, yeah. I think, is there anything? It's weighing on me. Something I did—I'm not, you know—that doesn't fit my moral standards. Something that I'm not proud of. Something that I, you know, a, a harsh word that I wish I had back. And sometimes you just kind of, yeah, mm, you know, it's, it's something that I, uh, I'm not happy about that I did. The formal way of uh, kind of doing this sort of confession is four parts. Again, Bergalupa's. it's a list. Uh, the first thing in the formal confession would be to um, to think about renunciation. It's a Buddhist term some of you are familiar with, some of you may not be familiar with. But it's, it's basically just realizing what's important in your life and what's not. And just holding that. You know, what is important? And maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's just a sense of your spiritual path. My spiritual path is important to me. It's just a good way of kind of renouncing things that don't fit in there. You know, uh, uh, thinking about uh, oh, you know, that new car you're going to get, new computer you're going to get, oh, that new boyfriend I'm hoping to get. That sort of thing Uh, tends to bring your mind to a grasping sort of place. Renunciation uh, refuge is uh, more about just letting go of those things that really, in you know, the end run, uh, are, mm, uh, I'm not sure what word to use here, uh, not going to bring your mind to a, uh, to a calm place, to a, to a special place, to a holy place. Uh, and the second part of that, first of the four parts, <laughs> is to flash on kindness. We call uh, sometimes bodhicitta, generosity, thinking about others. Just to flash on, you know, it's a good thing to think about other people, uh, and it sets your mind up in kind of a sort of a spacious area. Um, you're, you're, you're thinking about something that you did that's not that or maybe not that great, and it just sets your mind in an area where it's just like, yeah, that's going to be okay. The second of the four parts of uh, the, kind of this formal process of confession is to have an intelligent regret about what you did. Say you lied to someone about something. Uh, and it's not to beat yourself up about it. It's, oh, gosh, how could I do that? I'm such an awful person. You know, not a helpful place to go to. But just that sense of, now I've got to carry this lie around with me, which is a burden. I was like, God, why did I do that? And just that sense of, you know, I'm not happy that I did that. Um, If you yelled at someone, you realize, boy, I kind of put a big dent in that relationship. The the Shantideva, the 7th century um, uh, monk, uh, said, you know, one instant of anger towards someone can and can take away you know countless eons of merit and generosity because it's such you know anger is such a you know it's such a harsh thing. I, I've seen relationships that that have gone on for twenty or thirty years and over ten seconds of anger. So it's just that intelligent regret is that sort of realization. That act really didn't serve me. Third of the four things in this formal uh, confession is to just think, I'm going to not do that. And especially to think, I'm especially going to make a good effort not to do that for a certain length of time. If you have a problem with anger, and it happens a lot. Choose a short period of time because you don't want to be kind of breaking this promise. You know, it just, just sets your mind up to like, oh gosh, then I failed again, you know, that sort of thing. So just think, you know, for the next minute, I'm just gonna really work on not being angry. Um, you know, if it's stealing things, you know, maybe it's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, the next month, I'm just gonna be really clean. About anything I take. You know, if I'm walking by a snack bar and I need a napkin, I'm going to ask for that. I'm not just going to grab it. I'm not going to pick up things that are left unattended and just go, oh, no one must want this, I'll just go <laughs> it for myself. Uh, but, you know, have a certain time frame where you just make a special effort to, to not do that thing again. The fourth thing on this list of four is to do some antidote, some makeup up activity uh, that points your mind in the opposite direction. Uh, and if it's anger, it may be just apologizing to that person. To say, no, I'm sorry about that. I'm going to try to do better. If it's stealing something, it's giving it back. Uh, if in it's... Mind, uh, pardon? In your mind, you uh, No, it would be... It would be you make the... Um, Commitment to take care of that outside of meditation. Like, yeah, when I, when I see that person again, I'll do this, or I'll just quietly put that thing back where it belongs, you know, and so on. <laughs> so, this, so this is <laughs> a great image, isn't it? <laughs> um, but these four, this four parts of formal confession, formal clearing your conscience... Um, is one of those practices, again, that has simply stood the test of time. It's a very complete release of something that you did that you know, doesn't fit your moral values and your standards. Um, and it's, it's nice to practice. I would say, I would encourage people to kind of work with that. Uh, wish I had a handout on that. but yeah. mm-hmm. Next time. Uh, and then the opposite side of that, or the the corollary to that is... Think of something you did that was really special, sometimes something that you did that was particularly generous or thoughtful, uh, compassionate. And just let that touch your heart. You want it, you know, in the same way you let the intelligent regret feel like, oh God, why did I do that? Oh, you know, that didn't work for me. When you think of something that you did well, you want it to uplift you. You want it to, to feel it in a way that touches your heart and just kind of gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And it's good to take enough time to, you know, to feel that, to to make that work for you. Um, And the last uh, three, five, six, and seven, are, you know, mm, generally things that you would think to do with a person, but if you choose more of an image of a beach or mountains or something like that, You just kind of tweak it that way. But but you you ask this, uh, say, person in front of you to uh, help you develop the good qualities that they have. Uh, If you see them as a particularly um, thoughtful person, kind person, you ask that that, that they help you to develop that trait in yourself. you ask them to stay with you and be present with you. Um, it's not said in a way of grasping or you know, um, trying to rustle them to the ground and force them, that sort of thing. But it's just that kind of invitation that, you know, that you're here and I would like you to stay. I'm making space for you in me for you to stay, and uh, then ask for their guidance and and their blessing. And that's something, uh, it's kind of, you know, you say that and you kind of think you know what it means, but my experience is that that's actually a little more nuanced than you might imagine, you know, asking someone for their blessing, what does that mean? It's something just to kind of work with. At first it's just like, yeah, give me your blessing please, that's fine, move on. But it's one of those things, and sometimes to be, perhaps contemplate in meditation, what does it mean to receive the blessing of, uh, of someone? I don't like that. So that is the seven ingredients. As you remember, that's the fifth of the six preliminaries. And now we're going to the sixth of the six preliminaries, which is just kind of being happy with that you did proper preliminaries and that you're going to do your meditation. Um, uh, It's also called in Buddhist circles dedicating the merit of what you did. And again, this is quite important because when you do something good, when you do something beneficial, it leaves an imprint on your mind. And that imprint is very important because all the imprints of your life really create what is in your mind. And if you um, have an imprint of something that you did good, it creates you know, a good mind. The thing is, say you, um, just for a different example, if you are generous with someone, you know that you, you have something you really enjoy, you know someone who needs that, know someone who needs that, and you give it to them. Um, that imprint comes to your mind and that imprint will actually, again, create the mind that you have, that you have in the future. Uh, If you just think about that later on, you think, yeah, that was generous of me, your mind treats that imprint of that thought in the same way as the act of giving that thing to someone. So it's a way to kind of get more merit out of your activity but this so in meditation you just want to kind of dwell on that yeah i kind of did a good preliminary i'm going to do a good meditation it makes that imprint stronger essentially and kind of cultivates uh cultivates your mind in the direction you want it to go so let's kind of do let's see got got about fifteen minutes, I'm going to walk you through uh, the uh, six preliminaries and seven ingredients with your eyes closed. Uh, so, and then uh, after that, we'll go into a um, we'll go uh, into a meditation. Let's do a meditation on the breath because it's easy just to launch into, and we're kind of familiar with that. so take your seat and uh, and for uh, this practice we'll close our eyes so we've tidied up our space imagine in front of you uh, an altar or kind of a place where special things reside just kind of Create an image for yourself of what that might look like. And take a few seconds for that. And next, imagine setting something on the altar offering something that just adds to it, that brightens it in some way, something that you bring at this point. And then imagine taking your seat, settling in. And right now, let's uh, follow the breath, the rhythm of the breath, for ten breaths, and count in some way that makes sense. And then bring to mind someone or something that inspires you. And take a few moments to make it alive, to give it qualities that, mm, to give it the qualities of life. Now, with that image in your mind, bring to mind one of the traits that you admire about this person or place or thing, and just kind of be happy that they have that quality. Think of that quality as special. Next, imagine making them an offering, something out of your appreciation that they are who they are. A hillside of flowers, something that uh, you will do in the day, Uh, something that feels like a generous offering. And next, clear your conscience by just bringing to mind something maybe in the last 24 hours that you you did that you're not quite so happy with. Maybe it burdens you a bit. And either in a very (coughs) soft way, you just realize that you don't You don't want to do that again, that that's not the the person that you want to be. Or you can do a more formal progression through the four parts of uh, confession. We'll spend uh, a little more time to just give you time to work with. Next, rejoice in something that you did well, Um, and let that touch your heart. next ask this being to help you develop the qualities that you admire in them and then ask them to stay with you and to be present in your life and make space for them your heart in you and then ask them for their guidance and for their blessing And lastly, just sit for a moment and be happy that you've done this uh, preliminary practice and that you're ready to drop into meditation. So let's transition still with eyes closed or open if you prefer into a five-minute meditation on the breath. We have about 20 (laughs) seconds to kind of orient ourselves. Maybe settle into your posture a bit more. Uh, There'll be a gong. And let's do this as a silent meditation on the breath. I'll speak a little bit occasionally, but I'll let you direct yourself. as your mind wanders, bring it back to the object of meditation using the four R's, release, rejoice, relax, return, and then relax. If you've left the object of meditation, let's bring it back using the forearm. So when you're ready, open your eyes, move around. So that's class for tonight. Before we leave, I'm going to dedicate the merit of the class. What I mean by that is um, you can... In the There is merit associated with good acts. Like, you know, learning about meditation, wanting to train your mind in a beneficial way, has merit to it. It's a good thing. It leaves a good impression on your mind. And you can direct that goodness of your mind or that impression on your mind towards a certain goal. So close your eyes and just imagine you've done something good here tonight. And may, say to yourself, may the merit of that good action go towards benefiting someone or something in a particular way. Just direct that to someone, something that you think needs uh, some good merit. So thanks for coming. Thank you. And uh, hopefully see you next week.